Welcome to Thinks Out Loud, your source for all the digital expertise your business needs. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Things Out Loud, your source for all the digital expertise your business needs. My name is Tim Peter. This is episode 392 of The Big Show. And thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I think we've got a cool show for you today. This episode builds on a variety of things we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks and really the last couple of years with all the changes going on in search. And it was inspired by an email that I got from uh, Denise. So Denise uh, sent a couple of emails. We went back and forth a little bit. But, you know, she's been asking about how Google has been more transparent in the way that they are talking about search and what people should do and the like. And she asked the question, is Google more transparent because organic search doesn't matter as much as it used to? And that's a fascinating question. I, and I think the answer is probably not. I don't think that's why it's so. But hang with me in any case. There's a lot to unpack behind that question. And it's a thought-provoking concept that really sets up how we might want to think about what we do in marketing for the next, you know, uh, couple of years, probably. Full disclosure, I don't think of myself as an SEO. Like, that's not my primary job. I'm a digital strategist first and foremost. It's also true that search tends to account for half of all traffic or more to most sites in most verticals, and certainly in all of the verticals that I tend to work in. Talking about digital without talking about search and without talking about Google is like talking about movies without talking about Citizen Kane or The Godfather. Right. Even with all the change and disruption we're experiencing around search today, if your digital strategy doesn't take into account Google, the largest site on the Internet, its benefits, its risks, its pros, its cons, you cannot possibly have a complete, coherent digital marketing strategy for your business. And at least from one perspective, we have to think about what Google means to your business which we will get into a little bit deeper into the episode. I want to start, though, by talking about search generative experience, which is Google's new generative AI, I don't want to say powered, I want to say enhanced search experience. It is something where they're incorporating generative AI, you know, generated uh, text into the search results, answering the customer's questions, much the way you might see from ChatGPT and above the search results. Uh, you can test this out today. You can go to Google. You have to do it in Chrome, but you can see it. More importantly, you can interact with it. What I find really fascinating about this is that I've said for years that customers don't want a search engine. They want a find engine. They want something that simply answers their questions. 
And that's what Google is increasingly offering. If you think about it, that's what many generative AI search-focused tools do, whether it's ChatGPT, whether it's Bing Chat, whether it's Claude 2 from Anthropic. They're not pointing to you to where the answers are. They're giving you the answer. And the folks who monetize search this way, like Google specifically, place ads alongside the answers within the search results. That's how they make money. I suspect that's how many of them are going to make money over the longer term. There will be subscription models for certain business cases, for certain use cases. But generally speaking, if it's consumer-facing, it's probably going to be paid for by ads. And this gets to the crux of Denise's question. Wouldn't Google want you to have high-quality content because they're going to downplay organic search and they're going to upvote, you know, they're going to put more prominence on the answers that they're giving. Now, this is important because Google makes most of its money, 58% of its revenue, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, from search specifically. And it's absolutely true that Google wants those ads to represent good experiences, high-quality offerings for their customers. They have to. I recommend other service providers to my clients all the time. I'm sure you do as well. Do I recommend crappy service providers? Nope, absolutely not. Never, in fact. When I make a recommendation, I want to be sure that the person or company I'm introducing my clients to takes exceptionally good care of my client. You undoubtedly do the same thing. Google can't possibly want to provide a bad experience. And when we think about ads, they don't want who pays the most to be the defining characteristic of which ad they show. They want to make sure that any ad they show works as a good answer. Then they might be able to say, sure, we'll put who pays the most up top, because that will work well for the searcher and for Google. So there's certainly some merit in them telling all of us how to better answer their customers' questions. And heavy emphasis here on their customers. <laughs> <laughs> right. We think of the people who search often as our customers, as we rightly should. But Google thinks of them as their customers for sure. And Google's been pretty transparent for some time about doing the right thing for those users, for those customers. It's become very trendy lately to say that you shouldn't write for a search engine. You should write for a user. You should do audience research, not keyword research. And generally speaking, that's true. What's also true is that savvy marketers have been doing that for years. There are three and a half billion searches every single day. Who do you suppose conducts all of those searches? The engine doesn't ask questions on its own. People do. Savvy, sophisticated marketers have been focused for years not on the search engine, but on the searcher. Now, ironically, that's what Google wants you to do. And it's particularly true when we talk about something like search generative experience 
because they can then recommend people freely. They can put an ad alongside their answer because they know whatever site they're linking to that has taken that approach will provide a great experience to their customers. And then who are we kidding? They can safely begin giving greater credence to those who pay the most, so they get to make more money. In some ways, it becomes a win-win-win from that perspective. The reason that I don't think they're being more transparent, you know, solely uh, because organic doesn't matter, is because organic does matter to them. Even as they are driven more and more by ads, they need those ads to be a good answer to a customer's question. And they're going to use, they undoubtedly have to use a trust but verify system. Organic search algorithms are their verification method. They crawl the sites and preference those sites that give better answers and give better experiences. If you look at the work they're doing with Core Web Vitals and some of the changes they're making next spring, there's a new, um, there's a new uh, uh, feature called INP. I don't recall what it stands for at the moment. Again, not an SEO, right? But uh, it's all about better experiences. So that's true that it's something that they want to do because they want to create great experiences for customers. And in this case, everything they're telling you to do works for organic search as well. So it genuinely works to your advantage in either case. The bigger question I would be saying is, how does this change the way we think about marketing? Does it change the way we think about marketing? And if you've been thinking about your customers this way all along, if you've been thinking about the customer experience this way all along, then I hope not. I don't think it will change what we're doing. I've talked for a while about a three-step process that you want to think about for your business. I call it the Royal Court Framework. You've heard me refer to this many times. Content is king. Customer experience is queen. Data is your crown jewels. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Look at what Google recommends. They're saying create great content that solves a customer's need. There was... Um, a recent podcast, Google's Danny Sullivan basically said that Google provides information to help people improve their content for people, not just to chase rankings. This is a direct quote. Now more than ever, having that authentic content that you created because you have an actual audience in mind that you know would come to it directly. That is your way forward as you try to navigate this world of how ranking systems are evolving. Again, that's a direct quote. They also provided advice related to their August core update, which just launched in the last couple of days and will be rolling out over the next few weeks. They gave very specific tips. Look closely at pages that aren't performing well. Check what search terms led people to those pages. Compare your content to the questions Google provides on its help page. And I'll link to this in the show notes so you'll have access to that. What are they talking about there, though? They're talking about content. They're telling you that content is, in fact, king. Why do they want this? Well, because customer experience is queen. Google knows that if a customer has a bad experience on your site, that bad experience reflects poorly on Google as well as you. 
there are no areas of Google's business that A, require customers to use their service, and B, generate meaningful revenues or profits for the company. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when assessing the state of digital in Q3. I mentioned it at the top of the show. Google makes 58% of its revenues from search and 78% from advertising overall. Virtually all of its profits come from just those two categories, search and advertising. Yet their customers could use Bing Chat or ChatGPT or Claude or Amazon's Alexa tomorrow simply by opening a different app or typing a different URL. Google's vulnerability here is why I'm still convinced that Amazon will launch its own consumer-facing search engine one of these days. I could be wrong, but Amazon has to recognize that Google may be strong, but its strength is brittle. Google has to give customers a great customer experience or it will lose those customers to people who do, to companies who do. The switching cost isn't effectively zero. It is zero. For Google, more than just about anyone, customer experience is queen because it's the only way that they get customers to keep coming back. Of course, if you take care of content and make sure content is king and treat it as such, if you take care of customer experience and treat it as such, it's fair to ask what you get out of it. Well, you get a variety of things out of it. Obviously, you get satisfied customers. You get repeat business. You get more traffic. You get more positive word of mouth. You also gain data. You get understanding of what matters to your customer. You learn more so that you can do a better job. It becomes a virtuous flywheel. In some ways, Google is providing more of these insights, more of this data, more understanding than they have around how to produce great content and deliver customer experiences that our customers expect because they recognize that's what's gonna keep them in business. You know, if you get to stay in business, that's a nice plus, but that's not the part that matters to them. The part that matters to them is how do we, Google, stay in business? Now, they give you lots of data. They give you things like Google Search Console and Google Analytics. I mean, they're free, right? You can use these today. And they're becoming more transparent because they recognize they need the overall experience to be more positive. I don't want to be naive. Denise may be right. Over time, they may devalue organic search. But I think they will always need to rely on it to know what are the best sites so that they know which advertisers to prioritize, not just which organic rankings to prioritize. So one of the things you want to do is think about the data that you have that Google doesn't have. Now, obviously, you have your analytics data, which is great. You should use that. You also have things like site search data. I've talked about this in past episodes. But what are people looking for on your site? If you have a search engine, what are they searching for? We've got research. We've seen, working with a variety of companies, that people who search on your website convert roughly 40% more often than those that don't, and it can be as high as 200%.
Now, I want to be fair. They're not buying. They're not downloading. They're not signing up. They're not doing what have you because they're searching. They're searching because they are ready and willing and able to buy or download or sign up or what have you. And they're telling you what they think is most important. They're asking you to help them navigate to the places that will let them do what they want to do. They're literally saying, I want to buy. Help me. (laughs) Call me crazy, but I'd want to keep an eye on those searches and on that data. Data is your crown jewels. And I simply don't see any evidence that this royal court framework that content is king, customer experience is queen, and data is the crown jewels is changing anytime soon. In fact, I would strongly suggest that all of Google's activities really do support that notion that that's the world in which we're going to be living for some time to come. So is that it, though? Well, not really. There's at least one other thing I would add. One, on the content side, we have to think about content distribution. We cannot just rely on Google because we know gatekeepers are going to gate. By the way, we shouldn't just rely on any one source. Gatekeepers are going to gate. However, as I said at the top of the episode, Google is the biggest site on the internet. They are probably half of your traffic, if not more. So we definitely want to not rely on them (laughs) more than anybody, right? They have a lot of power and a lot of ability to really hurt your business if they make dramatic changes in the way things work. And this is something we've talked about before, but it's worth repeating. You need to make content distribution part of your ideation process. You need to be thinking about content distribution from the moment you start thinking about creating new content. And ironically, Google can be the source of some really valuable information right here. You can use Google to see what kind of content works best. You know, when you're creating new content or you're thinking of creating new content, look and see what Google is showing for searches around those kinds of terms. Maybe you're better served offering a video or an image or an infographic than just a text page. Google is clearly showing you these are the kinds of content, these are the kinds of experiences that customers expect when they're looking for an answer to a specific question. Use that to say, I want to make content in that format because that's going to help me be seen and help me provide a better experience for my customer. It doesn't mean you can't do the other versions too. Content reuse is a big deal. Take a video and use the script to make that a text piece or part of it. Take some images from that and make that an infographic for sure. But you wanna think about how do we get this content in front of people beyond just search. Remember too that social media is your friend. As we discussed last week, social media is far from antisocial. So you want to think about how do I repurpose whatever content I'm creating? How do I make it work on whether it's Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn if you're B2B? What is the appropriate social media channel for these or social media channels for this piece of content to get it to the broadest audience beyond just search? You all know, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, I'm a huge fan of email. Get your content directly in your customers' inboxes. 
which means that it's also really important that you grow your email list over time. We've calculated the value of email addresses for lots and lots of different companies over the years. An email address can range in value to you in terms of future value from as little as two to three bucks and as high, in my experience, as a few hundred dollars or more, depending on the size of your purchase and what your your, uh, conversion rate tends to be over the life cycle of owning that email address. So when you're thinking about conversion on your website, when you're thinking about conversion on your social channels, think about are you creating ways to connect with customers directly, to engage with them directly? We also tend to recommend segmenting your email lists into all kinds of different people. So your regular customers, but customers based on their uh, recency, their frequency and monetary uh, value past customers if they haven't connected in a while, prospects, both current and past. Are you sharing content with them that might be relevant to them? And your friends and family. And what I mean by that, I mean friends and family of your business, who internally among your employees, your advisors, and actual friends, actual colleagues you have in your industry, can you share it with? And more importantly, who will share that content on your behalf. Also, you want to make sure you're linking to your new content from somewhere on your site. Give people a way to navigate to it. And finally, think about the influencers or creators who might also want to share content, uh, who might want to share your new content with their audience, with their friends and family and fans and followers on social. Those can all be great ways to build your network, to build a broader community, and to get your content seen by more people. So do I think that Google is more transparent because organic search doesn't matter as much? Not really. At the same time, we want to learn from what they're telling us, where they're being transparent, because it underscores that content is king customer experience is queen, and data is the crown jewels. It underscores the need to think about content distribution from the beginning so that we can show up in front of our customers no matter where they find us, whether it's search, whether it's social, whether it's email, whether it's our broader community as a whole. All of those together work together to ensure that you can still be seen and you can still be heard and your customers can still find you and come to you and buy from you. And ultimately, that's what we always want to be doing so that gatekeepers can try to gate. We got a whole other set of roads we can walk down to get to our customers. And I don't know how to be any more transparent on that topic than that. Now, looking at the clock on the wall, we are out of time for this week. I want to remind you, you can find the show notes for this episode, as well as an archive of all past episodes, by going to timpeter.com slash podcast. Again, that's timpeter.com slash podcast. Just look for episode 392. Don't forget that you can click on the subscribe link in any of the episodes you find there to have Thinks Out Loud delivered to your favorite podcatcher every single week. You can also find Thinks Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Overcast, anywhere fine podcasts are found. 
While you're there, I would also very much appreciate it if you could provide a positive rating or review for the show. Ratings and reviews help new listeners find the podcast. They help new listeners understand what the show is all about. They help get the word out. They help us grow our community, and they mean the world to me. So thank you very, very much for doing that. I really appreciate you helping to make Thinks Out Loud a better place for everyone involved. You can also find Thinks Out Loud on LinkedIn by going to linkedin.com slash timpeterassociates. You can find me on Twitter. Yes, I still call it Twitter, using the Twitter handle at TCPeter. And as always, just like Denise did, you can email me at podcast at timpeter.com. Again, that's podcast at timpeter.com. Finally, I know I say this every week, but I so appreciate the fact that you listen and I so appreciate the fact that you tune in to hear what's going on in our little corner of the world every single week. I would not do this show without you. It means so much to me that we can have a conversation and that we can build this community together. It means the world to me that you listen. It means the world to me that you comment. It means the world to me that you reach out to me on social. It means the world to me that you email. Thanks, Denise. (laughs) I just love that we get to keep the dialogue going. So please, let's keep the dialogue going. Keep your emails coming. Keep pinging me on LinkedIn. Keep pinging me on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it this week. I love hearing from you. I love getting to chat with you about all of these topics every single week. So with that said, I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. And I will look forward to speaking with you here on Thinks Out Loud next time. Until then, please be well, be safe, and as always, take care, everybody.